Ever wonder what your therapist is really thinking? Well, that's confidential. But in this podcast, a few of my therapist friends and me show you what it's really like inside of a mental health professional's brain. Hi, welcome to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. I'm Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, board certified counselor. We discuss books, movies, TV shows, motherhood, current events, clinical issues, mental illness, trauma, and our own personal lives. So if you want to know what we're thinking, come on in, take a listen. Come see what the world is like through the eyes of a therapist, the podcast that destigmatizes mental illness, humanizes therapists, and demystifies therapy. In this episode, I interviewed two of my therapist friends about motherhood. Motherhood is wild, y'all. It's just wild. So here we are on the podcast again. Welcome back to Through the Eyes of a Therapist. I'm going to be speaking to Bianca Balderrama, who is also a therapist. Bianca Balderrama enjoys a career as a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas. Bianca gave birth to her first child in June 2020. Wow, right smack dab in the middle of the pandemic. She is one of 72% of women who experienced anxiety and 41% who experienced depression in the year after giving birth. These numbers have almost tripled during the pandemic, and she's doing her best to adjust to it, being a first-time mom through it all. I'm also a first-time mom, and I also mm-hmm. suffered from postpartum anxiety, so I'm part of that percentage too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's talk yeah. about this. Thanks so much for coming onto the podcast, Bianca. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I think this is a really important conversation. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that we're both therapists opening up about this, first of all, I think is super important. Yeah. Because I think it shows that we don't have it all together. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we don't want to show people some, you know, sometimes we don't want to show people this side of ourselves, right? Because mm-hmm. it can be a little bit vulnerable and a little bit scary, but we're human too. Yeah. I think it's really important to be transparent with my clients, you know, I mean, to some extent, obviously, I'm not going to sit and cry about my problems in front of them or in the session, you know, right. But I think that because of the fact that I had to take a maternity leave, and a lot of my clients did return, there was some aspect of my life that I did need to be a little bit more open with, because, you know, they saw me pregnant, before we went to virtual. And, you know, they could see my growing belly through the screen as we tried to figure out the pandemic and make our sessions continue and and all of that. And, you know, they miss you when you're gone. And some of my clients even just checked in, they would send little emails like, hi, just thinking of you, hope you're okay, you know. So it's a very weird experience with men, they don't have that paternity leave issue. And women, we have that maternity leave and we have to kind of come back and like reintroduce ourselves in a new role that they're aware of this time, you know? Right. Like they know we're pregnant. We disappear Mm -hmm. for a little while. We come back. Mm -hmm. We no longer have the belly. And it's like, oh, yeah, we know that there's a child in this person's life. Right. Mm -hmm. It, It is strange. I think, you know, the clients that I take on after motherhood, I don't discuss my personal life with them. But all of the clients that, you know, worked with me through it, they all ask about Luna, they ask about how she's doing, they all knew she was in the NICU. 
for 52 days. So that was something that I, I had to address. You know, I had to talk to them about it because they were they were concerned. Right. I think that that speaks to just the human connection part of therapy, mm-hmm. right? It's like you mm-hmm. can't erase that part of yourself as a therapist. Uh, it's two yeah. humans connecting with each other. And I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to say this, but I feel like the white westernized view of therapy kind of erases some of that part where they talk about like, you have to have strict boundaries with your clients, mm-hmm. right? Like, don't talk about your personal life or anything like that, you know, because then mm-hmm. you're letting too much information go. And it's like, well, but they saw me pregnant and they know my kid is in the hospital. Yeah. Like, what do you expect? Right. I mean, and considering that Luna was two months early, so that alone had my clients concerned because they knew how how small she was going to be, you know? And I work with a lot of women, so they're going to know. Some of my clients experienced, you know, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, which is what we were, you know, working on and discussing. And so they knew what it was going to be like, you know, for me. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, I'm not, I wasn't sitting there telling them like, you know what? Yes, I've been talking to my therapist about this, <laughs> I've been dealing about this in my own personal life, but I did have to somewhat address it and make them feel a little bit more comfortable about their own experiences through mine. So you're not going to be telling them what you say in your therapy sessions? Right. I'm not trying to be so vulnerable and open with my clients because I'm not trying to take away from their experience in therapy. But I did have to share, you know, sometimes that there was some anxiety, especially considering that I think through the pandemic, Therapy changed so much because it was more readily accessible. And not only that, but this was, I think, probably one of the first times in history or in a really long time that we were all experiencing the same exact things as our clients were, you know, like Mm -hmm. maybe not in history, but I think there are times where we experience it exactly the same way my clients, our clients are. But at the time of the pandemic, we were all confused. We were all worried. We were all, you know, ready for it to be over or and still are, you know, we just kind of we're all dealing with the exact same concerns, but here we were as therapists having to try to hold their emotions and our own. So it kind of just, I think, heightened what we were dealing with as new mothers in a pandemic and being therapists. It was kind of intense. Absolutely. That's something that I talked to my supervisees about. So I'm a board approved supervisor for people who are seeking mm-hmm. postgraduate hours going towards full licensure. And we talk about how, mm-hmm. how are we supposed to hold space for people when the whole world is freaking crumbling in front of our eyes? <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, yes. And so it's difficult because all of us are experiencing um, some sort of level of global trauma or a heightened level of anxiety because of the state of things in the world or in our state or in our city or whatever. And so it's kind of hard to handle everything that happened with COVID, but then also hold space for somebody who's processing stuff that happens with COVID. And it's like, how do you separate that? Can you talk to us a little bit about what it was like to 
be pregnant in the middle of the pandemic because for me personally, I had Owen six months before the official lockdown in March mm-hmm. 2020. So it was kind of like normal right. life, normal life. Six months later, boom, everything shut down. And we were kind of like, what? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so it was yeah. supposed to kind of go back to normal, but then it shut down. But for you, it was yeah. like right in the middle of the pandemic. So what was that like? Mm-hmm. So I was about, um, let me see. I was just entering my second trimester and, you know, just entering that period where I wanted to start showing off my belly (laughs) and it was Mm -hmm. not so much of a, you know, frustration for me when people just like would reach and touch my belly, which that's, that's a whole nother conversation, but, um, It was so frustrating because it was frustrating and it's just, I was just riddled with anxiety because I had just come off of two miscarriages before I gave birth. I mean, before I got pregnant, right? And stayed pregnant. So I had just come off of two miscarriages, right? And I was already nervous going into it because my pregnancy was what the medical professional calls geriatric or advanced maternal age, which was Wait, nice what? You know, to hear. Yes, because of the fact that I was over 35. I gave birth when I was 37. And oh. because I was over 35, my pregnancy was high risk because of my advanced maternal age. And literally, they call them geriatric pregnancy. I know manches. That's what they call them. But you know, my pregnancy was already at risk. I had just had two miscarriages. And then we enter into this pandemic. And I was freaking out. Not only that, I felt so robbed, because there were so many experiences that I couldn't have, you know, with the pandemic, we were, we locked down in my home. Nobody entered our home. We canceled my baby shower, which was really tough for me. I I had to really cope with that because I felt like I wasn't able to celebrate my baby when the whole year before I was dealing with the miscarriages and, you know, the depression, the great depression that comes with that. And not being able to celebrate this baby that is thriving and that was doing well. And my pregnancy up until that point was doing just fine. I I really had a, a tough time with it. I think I got depressed and I got really anxious and it was just tough not being able to see people, you know, not being, it was just like that isolation, I think was really it was very sad. It was very, very sad Mm. to be a first time. I mean, to be pregnant for the first time, that was actually, you know, the pregnancy was surviving, you know, the baby was surviving inside me. And I I couldn't, I couldn't celebrate, I couldn't do anything to make myself feel okay about the pandemic. I was angry, like so angry, because of the pandemic, you know, it was tough. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. everything, all the plans got upended and a lot of disappointment. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think I'd scheduled my baby shower for March. Luckily, I didn't pay too much. We only lost a $75 deposit on like a little party hall that we'd rented. But what's $75 compared to being healthy (laughs) and not, you know, exposing everybody and exposing myself? I suppose that's a nice reframe. Yeah. I think one of the biggest upsets was that my husband couldn't participate in any of the 
appointments. You know, I think he was able to go to one, the very first one where we listened to the heartbeat. But after that, nothing. He could not attend any appointments. I had to go to them all by myself. And and I was that person, like so terrified. I was that person that was like wearing a mask the whole drive over there, (laughs) the drive home. Like I didn't take it off until I got home in the garage and I would just like peel it off and throw it away because I was so scared that anything, we didn't know at that, at that point, we just didn't know how it was being transmitted. We didn't know as much as we do now. Right. So even just the unknown, right? Like how, Mm -hmm. how is everything transmitted? And so you had to be super cautious and I'd imagine Mm -hmm. that, it was like a sense of hypervigilance, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where the anxiety came from, because I was just so scared that I didn't know how I was going to get sick if I was going to get sick. And like, just having an allergy attack scared the crap out of me. It was so bad that I, I probably should have been taking some form of medication, but I was also very terrified to do that because of the pregnancy, like being pregnant and not knowing, you know, what psychotropic medications would have helped me or anything like that was just, oh, thinking about it is really making me shake a little. Yeah, it's hard to make decisions when you have a living person or Mm -hmm. thing inside you, right? Because it's like you're connected Mm -hmm. to that being and it's you're not just making decisions for yourself, I guess, in that moment. It depends on how you view motherhood and the fetus and all that stuff. But I mean, if you want a pregnancy to survive, right, and you have that history of Mm -hmm. miscarriages and stuff, I mean, those decisions, I think, are hard. That's stressful, right? And so Mm -hmm. there's kind of also that weighing of, is the medication going to be better because I'm so stressed? And is the stress doing more harm than good? At this point, I had Mm -hmm. that thought in my pregnancy too, because I was super stressed at work. COVID Mm -hmm. wasn't around at that point, but racism was there (laughs) at my workplace. So that was really terrible for me. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. I feel like, man, did that affect my child? And should I have, you know, done something different? And, you know, just the things we have to deal with yeah. As mothers in general and the state of the world, but also even as therapists, right? Like, oh, am I like listening to stuff and like, is the baby absorbing it? I don't know if you ever had that thought, but I did. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. I was just thinking that exact same thing as you were saying that I, I was about to comment that, you know, everything that we're feeling, the baby is absorbing that and they do. I mean, there are studies, it's proven. So I'm always concerned about that, you know, especially when I'm dealing with um, having to call CPS, like those kinds of cases are always very difficult. And I worry about that, like so much when when it comes to or I did worry about it when I was pregnant, so, so much there are, like, I remember taking Snapchat pictures of myself at work, like calling CPS, <laughs> and just like, kind of like, focusing on my belly. And it's kind of like the show does have to go on. I have to keep on working. I have to make sure that my license isn't at risk if I just ignore these things. But yeah, like we do have a very difficult job. And that was definitely on my mind. That was a concern for sure. Yeah. And I just wonder if it has an effect on like even current development. My child's almost two in like a few days. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, man, I wonder if yeah. that's affecting the way he's growing or the way he is going to emote later or whatever. I don't know. I always think of the still face experiment, you know, because 
if I come off of a really tough session or, you know, a really tough day of work and I like go in to see the baby and, you know, is my facial expression going to read what I'm going through or what I just went through? It's always something that I think about. I I worry about that too. And then, you know, because I'm still nursing. So that's something too. Like, is it in my breast milk? Is it transferring? <laughs> like all of that is, I wonder because my daughter, I mean, I know separation anxiety is normal with kids, but sometimes I feel like hers might be a little higher because of, you know, the isolation. She's not as socialized as I would have liked her to be if we weren't in a pandemic. Yeah. It's a lot. It is a lot. That for sure. I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw this Mm -hmm. reel that said like, if you don't have a pandemic baby, you can't sit with us. And I was cracking up because (laughs) she was highlighting the differences between like her non-pandemic baby Mm -hmm. who's like six years old and like her one and a half year old little boy who's like doing Mm -hmm. weird stuff at home. (laughs) And I was like, okay, so my child's a little odd too. Like that makes sense. Because it's true, like, I wasn't able to take him, you know, to, like, daycare or Montessori school Mm -hmm. or whatever it is that I wanted Mm -hmm. to do with him because of COVID and germs and just anxiety in general or isolation and all the things that he had to miss out on um, Mm -hmm. because I chose to believe the science, right? So it's just something Mm -hmm. that worries me a little bit but I feel like also kids are resilient and hopefully he will just catch yeah. up <laughs> agreed I mean I've have got a lot of experience with play therapy and I know I mean at the very least my job is going to make it a lot easier for me to well maybe I don't know about easier but I'm going to be able to know where the good therapy is and <laughs> where to find it it's just about finding somebody who's not already my friend in <laughs> I know, dang it, right? Like, we know all the good ones. It makes it so hard for us, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, great. We're gonna have to, like, find somebody far away. Okay, so I think, is there anything that we're missing that you would want to say or, um, you know, highlight? I mean, I I think that for me, especially because it's still such a new experience of motherhood, it was really just the, the pandemic just making me feel robbed, you know, like just not being able to have all of the experiences that everybody else had. And I wasn't planning to do like a gender reveal or anything like that. But seeing that like just kind of makes me feel like, oh, you know, I missed out on that, especially because Luna's the only baby I'm going to be able to have. I can no longer have kids because of the damage that the pregnancy caused to my body. So, you know, like, it's not fair. I think that a lot of women feel like that. And the women that I work with as a therapist who had babies during the pandemic or who are currently pregnant, they feel the same way. They just have this like robbed feeling. So it makes me feel less weird, I guess, validating. Yeah, it's less of a lonely feeling. It's, um, yeah. it's, it's probably really common for a lot of people who gave birth during the pandemic. Yeah. Or even new moms like you, you were six months into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, just it's it's a lot of loss, a lot of grief, I think. Yeah, yes, that's exactly what, you know, in my therapy sessions, that's what we discussed. We talked a lot about the grief that I was feeling because it is grief. It is a loss. It was me mourning the experience that I thought I was going to have. Did they let your husband in like during the labor? 
Oh, thank God. Yes. And the delivery. Yes. I mean, and our birth story was very unique. We, I was in session, <laughs> like I was working in the middle of a session and I started just to feel like ripping. And for the audience, what happened with me is I, my uterus was tearing at sites of previous surgical scars. So um, I had had fibroids removed, which is one of the causes of my infertility in the past. And the surgical site, the scars is what caused the ripping in my uterus. So as she grew, my uterus was, was just kind of tearing open. And so when I started to feel the pain, it just kind of intensified. And I had to call the ambulance and we had to get me to across town because they wanted to take me to a closer hospital. And I was like, don't you dare. I need my doctor. (laughs) I need something from this pandemic. Like I fought to make sure that I could go to the hospital that I wanted to deliver at. And they did luckily, thankfully they did take me, but it was like a 30, 40 minute drive from my home. And my husband was driving right behind us. I could see my car in the little, you know, hole of the ambulance. And my husband was in there and he just like followed us the whole way. And They let him stay. Thankfully, he was there the whole three days that I was in the hospital. There were times where they weren't going to let him back in to the room to the hospital because I think at one point he had had an elevated temperature because he had walked from a food place that was close by to the hospital that he didn't feel like wasting gas to drive to, you know the planet is dying. So (laughs) he walked over there and then he walked back. And so in the heat of June, he got hot, like he got really hot. So they checked his temperature and it was like 99 or something like that. And they're like, nope, you can't go in. And he was freaking out. I was freaking out. (laughs) And then he, he got colder, cooler, his body cooled and he was let back in. But yes, to answer your question, they did thankfully, or else, I don't know, I would have found a way to keep her in or something. (laughs) Right, like hold her in. Oh my goodness. Yeah, just like all that uncertainty, right? Oh my goodness. I have to say, this is, if anything, this type of adversity has to create resiliency. Um, Oh, yeah. Although. I'd really like to not be resilient. I mean, I'm I'm kind of right. tired. I saw this <laughs> I saw this meme. I don't know if you know what I'm going to talk about right now, but there's this meme with Chris Farley. His hair is like all wild. <laughs> and it says, um, getting real tired of living through uh catastrophic events. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my god, poor millennials. Like it's tough for us. <laughs> yeah, and we're like the elder millennials, right? But yeah. we've been through like what? Like Iraq, 9-11, mm-hmm. global warming, mm-hmm. Trump, mm-hmm. like immigration, oh my at least down here on the border, like yeah. the political climate, like George Floyd, freaking yeah. planet dying, and like just, you know, COVID. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell, dude? Can you like, stop? <laughs> enough is enough. Come on, give us a break. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, the recession, the Great Recession. Oh, yes, too? the Great Recession. I mean, yeah. I was able to buy a house in the middle of that, so I'm very grateful. But still, like, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was tough, for sure. Well, Bianca, thank you so much for contributing to this conversation about motherhood in a pandemic. You're so very welcome. I wish you all the best. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to share the experience and, you know, 
there might need to be a part two because there's a whole heck of a lot that we didn't get to discuss. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. And say hi to Luna for us. I definitely will. I'll see you in a couple of days. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, for the party. Woohoo! Yeah. Woohoo! All right. All right. Have Talk a to good you later. Evening. Bye. Bye bye. All right. So here we have our second guest on today's episode, Monica Garfias, licensed professional counselor who has been in the mental health field, I just found out a bit ago, since 2005. And she has been practicing since 2009. I know Monica because we work together at a local mental health clinic in El Paso, Texas. But since she has moved on to bigger, better things in a different part of Texas, as her military life has taken her away from us, which I'm still sad about, but that's okay, (laughs) because we're still in touch. But she's here to talk to us on the podcast about motherhood in this segment. So hello again, Monica. How are you? Hey, Crystal. I'm here. We've had an interesting Monday already. So yeah, motherhood. Yes, motherhood, right? So can you tell us a little bit about your experience with motherhood and the pandemic and maybe even just telling us, you know, about your kids and how things are going for you so far? Right. Okay. So I have two little boys right now. Mateo is my five-year-old and Arlo is my three-year-old. So Mateo is a very healthy five-year-old with a big imagination and a lot of interesting questions. And Arlo, he got very, very sick at 11 days old. He got meningitis. It affected his brain significantly. So um, he was not supposed to make it, but thankfully he did. But um, that doesn't come, that didn't come without all of the medical complications that come with some significant brain development issues. So for the rest of his life, he will be on a ventilator. He has a permanent tracheostomy. He has a little G-tube, so it's a gastric tube that goes in his tummy. And that's how he eats because he doesn't have a cough, a suck, or a swallow. So yeah, so we have our fair share of kind of differences in development between both boys. Um, Nonetheless, a lot of learning that we've all had to do. So yeah, and motherhood during the pandemic has been interesting. It has definitely been complicated because I as well am a therapist. My job switched us over to telehealth during the height of the pandemic. And also uh, my son Arlo gets 24 hour nursing care or is supposed to, but because there is a wide shortage of nursing, many times We didn't have nurses left to take care of him or help me take care of him because he needs to be monitored 24-7. His oxygen levels, his heart rate, all that can change in the blink of an eye. So we have to be ready and prepared to do CPR, to administer oxygen, to do all kinds of medical interventions. We've had some close calls, really random, especially if he's getting sick. We've had a lot of hospitalizations during the pandemic, which has made it very difficult because hospitals at one point were only allowing one parent per child. And with my kid, he's a two-person child. So meaning like carrying him, all the stuff that's connected to him, all that has made it a little bit, well, makes it more complicated. But yeah, so then having his five-year-old brother in the house trying to do pre-K activities at home while trying to work has been very difficult. And I know a lot of parents just handling multiple kids have been an issue in trying to maintain their job and livelihood and sanity. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I really appreciate you talking to us about your struggles, first of all, with Arlo being a medically fragile child. I think I've heard you say that about him before. Would that be like the appropriate term to use? I guess like uh, sometimes we say like our kid with special needs because sometimes like his medical diagnoses are so complicated that people would be like, look at us like, what are you talking about? (laughs) If we try to explain everything. So we try to kind of keep it very general. So we'll say medically fragile because he is very medically fragile or just special needs sometimes. Like we use those terms interchangeably because that's what people understand. Yeah, so I can imagine that just the idea of the germs floating around in the pandemic have put you in a heightened state of hypervigilance or awareness of what could potentially happen with him, right? Yes. So the germ factor, yes. But actually, when we were able to finally bring him home from the hospital, he was in the hospital for the first three months of his life. We literally had to revamp, rework what his room would look like. And the nurses at the hospital did such a great job at preparing us and helping us like figure out like what we were going to need and all that stuff. So his room is pretty much like a little hospital room. So when the pandemic and all that stuff came, the only thing that changed was the shortage of supplies. We were already doing like constant hand washing. We already had like, you know, the cleaning, like disinfecting stuff. We already had like the N95 masks because we know even just a small cold could really bring him down. So yeah, so it was more of like, during the pandemic, we were keeping all his original nurses as long as they were willing to just work with him. And most of them were anyway. Um, And we weren't doing any like, we call them PRN nurses. So like nurses who would come and fill in if there was an open shift. We weren't doing any random people that we didn't know. Just because in the beginning, we tried it and there were so many nurses that were exposed to COVID and it was like such a fine line. And we were like, you know what? No, never mind. I was like, I'll figure it out. I will multitask because as moms, we just learn how to multitask no matter what kind of needs your kid has. Like you just figure it out. So um, that's totally true. Yeah, yeah, totally true. So in this case, you are a therapist, mom preschool assistant teacher. And then when COVID hit, and not that a lot of things changed with Arlo, but as far as the work, you had to switch to homework, right? Like working from Mm -hmm. home and then preschool from home with Mateo, I'd imagine, right? So I think a lot of your roles kind of melded together at home. And I wonder how you handled that. I was a bit of a mess. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be open and honest. (laughs) I I mean, as probably (laughs) many of us were, right? Like, let's just normalize this for people. Like, just because Monica's a therapist or I'm a therapist and we're all, you know, moms, this whole thing brought us to our knees, I think, right? Like, we were all a hot mess. Just Mm -hmm. saying. Yes. Yeah. Complete hot mess. My husband couldn't stop working because of the job he has. And so he was like kind of like the the tribute of the family who would like go out and get like resources because he was the one. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he was he was our tribute. So he would go and get whatever we needed or try to hunt stuff down. It was interesting, but he had to continue working. And so I had to revamp my whole idea of how I worked from home, how I took care of the kids in the morning 
And then I would have to structure my sessions for in the evening when he got home so I could like lock myself up in my home office, quote unquote, slash guest bedroom and do my sessions. So I would work late into the evening and then go back to like attending to kids and all that fun stuff. So yeah, I was a hot mess. It took me a while. I don't like change. I'm a creature of habit. And that was a huge change. So and it definitely it knocked me on my butt. Yeah, as it did for many of us. And (laughs) humans are creatures of habit. We like homeostasis and sameness. And then, you know, suddenly, oh, the world stops. Everything's locked down, shut down, can't do anything that was considered normal anymore. Go ahead and, you know, do everything from your home environment. And you're cooped up with everybody that you love forever. For at least a year and a half. Like there's no end in sight. It's like, yeah. Yeah, because technically this is still not over, you know, so. No. I mean. No. Is Mateo back in school, like physically? So he started kindergarten towards, like, later on towards the pandemic. And I feel like we're still in it. But, like, later on in the year of 2020, my husband and I were like, okay, his daycare had, like, a pre-K program. And there was only, like, maybe eight to ten kids there. And so after a lot of thought and consideration, we were like, okay, we're going to send him back. He needed it. He was tired of me. Like he was just done with being at at home all the time. And he missed his friends. And, you know, and a lot of our kids did, you know, a lot of the kids were like, they wanted to hang out with their friends. They wanted to go do fun stuff, not just be stuck at home all the time. And my kid's a busybody. Mateo is like super busy. He always wants to like run and jump and he thinks he's like Spider-Man and all that fun stuff. So, and I couldn't keep up with him. I just couldn't. And I was like, I waved my flag. I was like, let's try this. I'm going to put my fear, you know, aside and I'm going to give it a try because I need some sanity. And slowly he went back to pre-K, finished up the pre-K program there. And then he just started, what was it? August, uh, mid-August, he started kindergarten. And so we're taking that day by day because his school is not mandating masks. They're encouraging but there's no mandate. So we have a kind of, he comes home, he changes, you know, he doesn't really go, he doesn't really go into his brother's room without washing his hands and things like that, because he catches everything under the sun. Like, I don't know, we sneeze and he's got it. And so, and because he has that tracheostomy, so that tube in his, in his throat, a lot of people are more familiar with that because a lot of people with COVID who were on ventilators and were intubated and couldn't get extubated, they had to get tracheostomies. So that leaves you more vulnerable because that's a direct route to your lungs. And because there's a tube in there, it's more likely for bacteria and all this fun stuff to like just build in there. So we're always watching. We're always like, literally, I never thought I would look at mucus so like under a lens. And I'm always like asking the nurses, what color was his, were his secretions? What color were his boogers? Does he have a lot of boogers today? Like, and we change out his little tube once a week and we're always like smelling, analyzing. <laughs> like, I'm like, wow, I never thought I would go to that level of smelling stuff, but I have. And as a mom, you do. Like, even when like newborns, right? Like you look at their poop and you're like, is this normal? Is it supposed to smell like this? Does it look like this? You know? So, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember thinking about, like, how before poop was so gross, before I had children, and now that I have Owen, I'm just like, poop's normal, like, it's gonna get oh, on no, my yeah. hands, yep. and I just need to look at it and smell it, and it's not a problem. Poop. Yeah, poop, boogers, anything that comes, like, any flu- bodily fluids that come out of our little, like, minions, like, 
we're just like, okay, here, done. My husband, not so much. He's more like, ew, that's gross. And I'm just like, well, who's got, who's going to do the dirty work? Here we go. Yeah. I wonder if there's like research about the physiological changes or, you know, something happens in mom's brains where we just kind of like tolerate that stuff a little bit better than male counterparts. Yes. I wonder how you take care of yourself and if you have any tips for other overwhelmed moms. I think for me, having a support group, having people who I can just talk to and vent and who understand your situation, especially with like the special needs population. There's a couple of support groups I joined early on that are on Facebook. They have been a saving grace. Uh, I have There's one called uh, Mothers of Trach Babies. I live in San Antonio, so there's a San Antonio Special Needs Moms group. Um, And then there's another group for mothers who have kids with like feeding tubes, so NG tubes, so the ones through their nose, the regular G tube, the gastric tube that goes through their belly, or their GJ tube that goes into like their intestines and stuff. And so those are some really good support groups that sometimes it's like you feel like you're going crazy because you're fighting. Well, yeah, you're, I'm pretty much, I feel like lately I've been fighting a lot of doctors. Like you have to be like a really strong advocate for your kid. And I mean, mama bear comes out no matter what, no matter what needs your kid has mama bear comes out. But with these groups, it's been nice because you hear similar stories. And it's funny because one of the group, when we, when you and I started talking about doing maybe a motherhood segment, one of the moms, uh, was saying like, I wonder how many of us have PTSD related to our kids, you know, situation, you know, diagnoses, injuries, all that stuff. You hear and you read everybody's story. And it's impressive how so many kids have survived so many things. So many moms have been through so much. And it's just like, wow. So kind of seeing that like you have such strong women or people, because it's not just women, it's also some uh, some dads, but majority women. Like they have your back and like, even with supplies, there's like shortages of supplies thanks to COVID. And so everybody's like, nope, I got you. I got extra of this. Let me send this to you. And it's like, it's amazing how much and how helpful these groups are, even with simple things of like, I need extra supplies of something that's really hard to get and really expensive. Everybody's like, nope, I got you. I have extra. I'll send it to you via mail. Just pay shipping. I got like a, I think like a $600 battery from somebody. And I was like, let me at least pay you shipping. And they were like, no, sent, like done. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's amazing. And so having a really good support group of people who kind of understand where you're at or can just like be there for you, that's really helpful. And obviously I have a lot of therapist friends like you who are always checking up like, hey, how are you doing? I was thinking about you. How's everything going? And so I have a a handful of those that still check in on me and they're like, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. Is everything okay? So that's, it's nice and heartwarming. And I think that helps me stay sane on some levels as much as I can be. That's, I think that's been the key for me because it's different for everybody, but that's been like, that support system has been big. Yeah, I agree with you. Having a really good support system is really important because I think things like depression, anxiety, PTSD, they thrive and live and feed off of like darkness and loneliness and isolation. And I think if we can have community and people around us and support, then that's when those things start to go away. Like they dissipate a little more. Um, So I'm really glad that you have those communities and you have people that understand, you know, what's going on for you and like 
can send you stuff. That's so cool, right? Like when yeah. you can have people across state lines understand what's going on right. and they just kind of put their differences aside from yeah. yours and can be like, I totally get what that's like and I'm going to send you something and I don't care. And yeah. that's it. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's an awesome group. And they're like all over the U like all over the world, actually, mainly in the U.S. Based, it's based in the U.S. Um, but we have moms from, I think, like the Philippines. Um, I've seen some people from like Europe who are in this group. Um, and sometimes they don't have access to some of the supplies we get. So people will send them over. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. Awesome. Is there anything else that you think that we need to say in this segment of the podcast related to motherhood or anything that you think we missed or an important message that you wanted to say that we didn't get to? I think it's important to not feel like you've got it together all the time. Like, it's okay. Like, you're not supposed to have it together all the time. Um, because I think we thrive off of, as moms, you want to be great. You want to be perfect. You want to do the best you can for your child. but Sometimes it just doesn't, it's okay not to be okay, first of all, because nobody has been through a pandemic. Nobody has had to do all this stuff we've had to kind of just like change our lives for. And then just nobody ever has it together. I tell a lot of the parents that I work with, like, if you tell me that there's somebody that tells you I am perfect in every single way as a parent, as a person, I'm like, run, run, because that doesn't exist. <laughs> it doesn't. It's not, it's not realistic. And I think a lot of stuff influences to make us think that way, like social media and things like that. But everybody has their own story. Everybody has their own struggles. And it's not realistic to strive or to think that the only thing that will make everything okay is perfection. We work towards goals and we work to do the best we can. I completely agree and amen to that, sister. Because <laughs> if you think about it, yeah. I mean... Even like the greats or whatever of our time, Eckhart Tolle and Oprah and Deepak Chopra or whatever, they don't have it together. They have their mm -hmm. share of trauma and humanness and all of that. And that's what makes them great, you know, is that yeah. they acknowledge that and they work on it. And that's what therapists are supposed to do. So actually, I totally agree with you. If you find a therapist who's like, I've never been to therapy and I'm just so perfect and everything's fine and I'm totally mentally stable. I'm like, run the other effing way. <laughs> yes. I'm like, run. Please. It's, it's run. A ticking bomb. Yeah. Ticking time bomb. Or they're a narcissist. I don't know. But yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Find somebody who's done the work, please. Well, thank you so much, Monica. I wish yeah. you the best. Thank you so thank much you. for your time and your energy and say hi to your babies. Thanks for listening to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And please connect with me, Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, on Instagram at Through the Eyes of a Therapist pod. More information about booking me for therapy or training can be found there. Until next time, keep on fighting the stigma and go to therapy. I'll see you next time.